0: Hello, and welcome to the Travel Japan with Wes Mather podcast. In this series, we explore living, working, studying, and of course, traveling in Japan. I hope to inform you on how to travel smart, safe, and with confidence, all while hopefully having an amazing time abroad. Everything you hear will be based off of my personal experiences, research, and experiences of others that I know. I'm your host, Wes Mather, and I hope you enjoy. Thank you for listening, and now let's begin. Um, welcome, everybody, to the Travel Japan with Wes Mathur podcast, season 1, episode 8. We are chugging along here, and uh, I'm joining you here today with our co-host, Brandon Bates, as well as special guest, Brett Williams, who uh, is a, has lived in Japan, is a content creator that speaks on learning the Japanese language, a um, I know uh, runs a martial arts studio, which is phenomenal, and pursues uh, film production, which is also very much something akin to to my pursuits as well, so I'm excited to talk about learning the Japanese language today with uh, Brett Williams. Welcome to the show, Brett Williams, and how are you doing today?
1: Hey, thanks for having me. I'm doing good. Uh, excited to spread the word of immersion learning, because it's not very well-known uh, method for learning a language.
0: Fantastic. No, it's not known to me much at all, so <laughs> I'm excited to learn as well, too. I'm excited to learn from you. <laughs> right, yeah. And already, um, I would just like to say, uh, you have been a member of the Discord server we are a part of, as well as we've interacted a fair amount on TikTok. I've had overwhelmingly positive uh, res- reviews and responses to the way that you've taught people and helped people learn the Japanese language, which is so kind of you and awesome. And also, uh, I've had so many questions about your language uh, teaching method, which I don't know about how to answer. <laughs> so I'm excited to hopefully learn about that today. Nice. So I hope we... Hopefully we can proceed from there. So with some background, I learned Japanese myself and I speak Japanese here at work. I got certified for N2 uh, fluency at, for the JLPT language course. I learned here uh, in classes through the Genki textbook and of course immersion was a huge part of my language learning process too, that is just hearing the Japanese language daily, uh, kind of being forced to speak the things daily too that I learned in the classes, uh, you know, hours before, which really helped me, I think, internalize vocabulary and build a foundation for grammar. However, um, that is something, of course, that is not an available option for many people, uh, time and resources being what they are, and I believe uh, Brett Williams has a huge insight onto a great, great ways to learn Japanese. Um, If you... Don't have the option of studying abroad here.
1: Yeah, definitely. One of the nice Mm. things about uh, immersion learning is nowadays with uh, Netflix and YouTube and the internet, uh, you have a constant supply, an endless supply of native material. So basically, um, now some of the things that I'll talk about are like my personal views or the views of the method that I do, which is called refold. Um, It's created by two guys, Ethan and Matt versus Japan, who's a, a popular... YouTube creator as well, and um, so some of the stuff is just stuff that we believe is the best way to do it, and then other stuff is pretty solidified as uh, about as scientifically factual as you can get. Um, Pretty much the whole method is based off of uh, immersion learning, or the input hypothesis, which was kind of popularized by Dr. Stephen Krashen, and basically what Stephen Krashen says is that the only way to acquire a language There's basically two ways to come about being able to speak a language. And that is through learning or acquisition. Learning focuses on what we call skill-based language learning, which is how most of uh, people that learn a language do it. And that is, you know, learning uh, through textbooks and uh, classrooms and stuff like that. And that is kind of taking these grammar rules and vocab, and then doing a math equation in your head where you take your English thought use the math equation to convert it into Japanese and then speak the Japanese sentence. Mm. Whereas um, input learning is more based off of the idea of trying to learn a language much like we learned our first language, which is getting a lot of input, getting a lot of um, native people speaking to you, which is easy now because of Netflix and stuff, and slowly deconstructing the language so that you gain an instinct for the language, so that you're not actually doing any math equation in your head. English is not in the equation at all. You're just speaking Japanese.
0: I love that. Yeah. And I second that too. I think that was definitely uh, huge in the elements. Those are huge elements that helped me learn the language personally. I, ha- I have attempted other languages uh, through self-study and through classes even um, without being immersed in the language. I tried learning French, Spanish, Korean. I took <laughs> classes with all three of those. However, uh, none, of them, none of them have stuck with me, and yeah. I think that the things you just mentioned do have a huge factor uh, in the reason that Japanese has stuck with me, which is sure. really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Um, so I don't know where did you uh, where did you guys want to start?
0: <laughs> I would actually love to start with uh, some p- kind of personal things when you first went to Japan and uh, when you first liked to uh, or knew you wanted to learn the Japanese language. Sure. That's so
1: cool. um, I actually originally didn't have. This is kind of a, a unique uh, experience, I think for Mm -hmm. most people that are interested in Japanese culture. I actually, I'm not gonna say that I had no interest in it, but I really didn't have any interest in Japanese culture when I was young. Um, I, as a Taekwondo instructor, and I've been doing it since I was like 16, so when I was young, I was more interested in Korean culture because Mm -hmm. uh, my mentor, my instructor, is Korean. Um, Mm -hmm. He barely speaks English. I mean, he can get his ideas across, but he doesn't speak very good English. Uh, And, you know, just, he would always push on me Like, oh, do it the Korean way. Oh, if this was Korea, you wouldn't get away with that. You know, (laughs) stuff like that. So I was like more interested in Korean culture and I wanted to go to Korea. And Mm. then some friends of mine that were really into Japanese culture did study abroad in Japan. And they were like, oh, Brett, come on out to study abroad or not do study abroad, but come stay with us while we're doing study abroad. And I'm like, dude, if I'm gonna spend money to go all the way out there, I'm gonna go to Korea. And they're like, Mm. yeah, but you have a free place to stay and stuff like that. So I'm like, all right, fine. (laughs) I'm like, free place to stay, people to show me around. Uh, I'll go out there for a couple weeks. So I bought a plane ticket, two weeks, uh, mm-hmm. went out there, slept on their kitchen floor for two weeks. And two weeks later, I was like, uh, do you guys mind if I stay another two weeks? And basically that, that continued on and for the entire three-month visa that I had. Every Good. two weeks. Every two weeks, by clockwork, I would ask <laughs> yeah. them if I could stay another two weeks. And they said it was fine. So I ended up just falling in love with the country. I really liked mm-hmm. the culture. I loved the culture shock because it was my first time out of the outside the US other than like Canada Whoa. and uh, like the British Virgin Islands. So um I see. Yeah, so I, I really liked the culture shock. It was a lot of fun to just experience something completely different. And then when they went home after study abroad, I was like, yeah, I need to get back out there. So I ended up going back, I got my own apartment and started uh mm. just kind of living there. Um, mm-hmm. I was doing kind of like freelance coding and writing. So Damn. I was able to kind of work from anywhere. So basically it was just wow. about trying to figure out how to get a place. And uh, mm-hmm. I prefer not to get into how I did that because it's not strictly legal. But uh, <laughs> No questions <laughs> but, on mine. And, and I don't recommend it. And I didn't know it was illegal at the time. Otherwise, I wouldn't have done it. But um, yeah, it's... Uh, Basically, I just kept like going back on visitors visas and flying home every three months. Been there, <laughs> so, actually, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as long, <laughs> I, I found out. Well, maybe I shouldn't say this because then it'll incentivize people to do it. But I found out basically, as long as you fly all the way back to America, you're generally mm-hmm. good. If you take a trip to Korea, they got like laser eyes on you. The, I, really. I did it like I did it like ten times back and forth to America. And then I did one trip with my girlfriend to Korea. And when I came back in, they looked at my passport and they're like, yeah, no more. Oh, no way. Yeah. So I was banned from Japan for a year. No, (laughs) That's wild. (laughs) I've done that. Everyone's worst nightmare. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Luckily, at at that point, I didn't have my own apartment. So uh, I was Uh, staying with a friend at that point uh um, because I moved from Tokyo down to Fukuoka. Uh, And uh, this area called Takeo Dude, Fukuoka is amazing It's probably There's a a town right outside Fukuoka That that I lived in called uh, Takeo And Takeo Mm. is my favorite place that I've lived And it's just Really? It's like very Inaka Yeah
0: Dang, taking some notes. And for listeners that don't know, Inaka means kind of countryside, which is very cool. Yeah. I love living in Inaka. It's a really, like, charming and kind of, like, local friendly mm-hmm. environment, definitely. And Fukuoka is an amazing... I, I would say, you know more than me, definitely, but, like, often beachside, right? Like, a lot of yeah. great oceanside uh, yeah. cities and country... um, and towns. Yeah, That's amazing, of, I didn't know that. There's
1: a lot of good oceanside stuff, and then also mm-hmm. it's kind of, like, I would say um, mm-hmm. it's... It's probably kind of the foodie capital of Japan. That's how it felt to me. I have a friend of mine that kind of disagrees with me on that. He's like, no, Tokyo is more foodie. But I'm like, I don't know, man. (laughs) I feel like Tokyo has a lot of like big restaurants that have backers and stuff like that. Fukuoka Uh to me feels like it's got a lot of just little tiny restaurants that are probably Michelin quality that are owned Uh and operated by the chef. So I I, kind of like that vibe a little bit.
0: I want to go tomorrow. <laughs> that sounds tasty. Yeah, that sounds awesome. it's I, I really like Wonderful.
1: Fukuoka. My favorite ramens in Fukuoka, so it's a mm-hmm. it's a good time.
0: Well, cool. Uh huh. And during that time, were you uh, doing self study for the Japanese language, or how? If you don't mind me asking, so, how did you learn?
1: Yeah. Um, I started off, I basically was there and I'm just like, well, if I live here, I should probably know the language. So, like, Mm. it kind of stinks going into the language without a passion for it and just kind of having to do it for survival purposes. Um, Uh. And I did want to learn the language, but I did Genki to begin with. I did more uh, um, stuff that I now would say is, I think one of the reasons that I'm so passionate about sharing immersion learning with people is because i've done both and Uh i've seen the damage that genki and traditional kind of like learning did for me now i think probably a lot of that damage is i wouldn't say it's eliminated but it's probably mitigated with you Mm -hmm. because you were immersing in the language i unfortunately Uh. got i unfortunately had a lot of friends that were english majors and every time we were hanging out they were like speak english speak english so i kind of gave into that a little bit and got a little lazy (laughs) Um, yeah, but yeah, so I learned traditionally through like Genki and stuff like that. And, um, I basically like plowed through the first two books in like six months and just like drilled and drilled and drilled alone in my room to the point where I could two survive. Books? Wow. What's it? Yeah.
0: It's amazing. That took two years for me. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did. Points. I did it
1: pretty hard cause I was like, well, I'm here and, uh-huh. uh, I need to know how to say stuff. So I got to the point where even though my Japanese wasn't good. Uh, I could survive in most situations and yeah. I was probably a big like um, kind of uh, Burden on people that were around me because I'd constantly ask them. Oh slow down. Oh, can you you know? Yeah, exactly Yeah, me too. We all know me what too. that feels like. <laughs> I,
0: I feel that hundred percent. Yeah So
1: so basically I just got to the point where I could survive and I hated the process of doing traditional language learning I'm not like Mm -hmm. I'm not a very uh I'm not a fan of like school type learning in general I'm like a do it type person and that's basically like how I've learned everything uh you know Taekwondo I watched it a lot and I did it a lot you know skating Uh I'd watch the pros and I'd do it uh writing Stephen King famously says if you want to become a writer the only way to get good at writing is to read a lot and write a lot so I don't think that taking classes is a very good way to learn almost anything. I wow. think that I think observing the pros, which in this case the pros are going to be native speakers, mm-hmm. and then doing it is the best way. A um, man
0: of many talents. First of all, that's phenomenal. That's <laughs> awesome. Thank yeah,
1: I, I I have. It's, it's definitely nice to have, mm-hmm. like, a lot of things that you're good at, but it's also frustrating because you have, like, ADD, so you don't, like, master anything. Uh, you're not, like, the best in the world at anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I mean, that's um, fair. Yeah, yeah, I support that. Although Taekwondo, I'm working on it, so. Nice, that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's really cool. And, yeah, I do remember having some of my teachers when I was studying abroad here in Japan say similar <laughs> things, that the textbook is key uh, for basically just how to... Go about the process of learning, but right. really the main thing is to pursue conversation. And right. over and over again, the uh, the teachers would say that conversation is the best way to learn the language. And they would say that the the way that the Genki textbook did approach the language was very formal, which was yeah. great because that is how you the safest way to introduce uh, a conversation with anybody is to speak formally. However, yeah. They said that when you're making friends here, uh, you'll quickly learn that no one really speaks that way to one another the way that you're initially taught in the Genki textbooks. So I they, actually mm.
1: – sorry to cut you off. I was oh, just going to say yeah. I actually have a friend uh, oh. because I learned – and this is the thing. I learned from Genki uh, edition one. Mm. So in the first oh. edition, it was the super, super long uh, form. In later, okay. in later no editions, they did oh, the like formal the form. like super formal Yeah, Yeah. and so I would speak that way to my friend, and I have one friend that speaks really, really good English, so she's quite Uh, Americanized in a sense. When she speaks Japanese, she turns very Japanese, but when she's speaking English, she's got like more of an American mindset, which is a little bit more straightforward and less kind of roundabout, Mm -hmm. Uh, and she would always say to me, she's like, stop speaking to me like that, I'm your friend, and she'd get like offended. (laughs) Exactly, (laughs) exactly, no, it's true, Uh uh-huh. But how yeah. would
2: you know better if that's all you
1: knew at the time? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right? So yeah. then I ran into the opposite thing where I'm like, Okay, I need to learn the short form. So I'd like mm-hmm. drill the short form and then I'd and then I'd go out and I'd accidentally speak the short form to some like old guy yeah. on the train and he'd be like, You shouldn't say that. <laughs> uh, no, it's so. so true.
0: It's so amazing. I've had literally the exact same experiences. That's really true. Uh, <laughs> using the formal Japanese with a close friend can seem kinda of cold and distant and using yeah. informal Japanese with somebody that you're you know not have having that close relationship with does seem kind of rude unfortunately but yeah it's (laughs) and it's uh, so like deeply
1: mm. ingrained in their like visceral reaction to things that Mm -hmm. even if on a conscious level they know you don't mean anything by it it's still gonna kind of like make them like cringe a little bit you know yeah it's gonna make it's gonna make them feel awkward about like oh my Uh, my friend is speaking to me so formally you know yeah Uh, right i've seen it It's kind of like when you hear it like a, a foreign like when somebody tells a foreigner that doesn't speak English to say like a dirty word and you're just like oh don't say that you know you know they don't know but it right. still kind of makes you like oh don't say that you know so That's it's a like, really good
0: way of saying that yeah uh-huh. yeah I agree and um, so at that point um, what methods did you use to uh, learn the language if you did feel like that the, the textbooks were not really what you felt? So, helpful.
1: yeah. So, basically, what ended up happening is, uh, unfortunately, uh, for about, you know, I would say on and off. It wasn't straight through because of the way that I did it with the visas mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Yeah. I would say about seven years on and off, I lived in Japan. For three of those, I had my own apartment. Uh, mm-hmm. And then for, like, three to four of those, I slept on my friend's uh, living room floor, basically. Heck yeah.
0: All about that.
1: Yeah. So, um, so basically... That whole time I was just solidifying these bad habits and surviving off of my really bad limited Japanese. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I don't know. I I hated the process so much and I was at a survival level that Mm -hmm. I didn't really have any desire to get any better. Uh, Mm. And I knew that I wasn't going to live there forever. Mm -hmm. And my girlfriend spoke spoke pretty decent Japanese or English so between the two of us with my bad Japanese and her bad English we were able to reach a mediocre level of conversation you know so so I wasn't super motivated to do it until after unfortunately after I ended up living back in the U.S. full-time I came across Mm. a language learning method called MIA Uh and MIA stands for mass immersion approach Mm-hmm. And it's it was run by uh, two guys Matt versus Japan and yoga pants. Um, mm-hmm. but basically they had a falling out MIA split up and now the new method is called refold. Got so it. they both kind of they co- both kind of went their own directions. Matt w- went with refold and yoga went with uh, a, a method or not method a a company called migaku so they both run them but matt i would say is kind of like for me he's like uh the the method and theory kind of guru and yoga although he knows method and theory i would say is like tools he makes really good tools for language learning so he's got a lot of really good things that make um i mean we'll get into this maybe a little bit later but it makes sentence mining really easy and like when you're making thousands and thousands of sentence cards over years every second you can shave off Uh, Means more time immersing so more time with the language. So it's like really really good Agreed. Yeah, and then basically once I came across MIA and now refold. uh, I Actually enjoyed the process. I'm not gonna say that it's easy. It's not like at all times I'm just like oh, this is I this is the walk in the park. I love it There are times where it's very very frustrating and I think that's just unavoidable especially with Mm. kanji but for the most part the method is basically spending a little bit of time, like 10%, 20% of your time in Anki, which I know you know about, yes. and 80% of your time just watching content that you're interested in. So mm. I really enjoyed that. So I've, I got to the point where I was like, well, I enjoy this process. And even though it's gonna take me a long time, I wanna get to the point where I can have deeper conversations uh, with the friends that I made while I was living there. Cause I'm sure- Yes, um, exactly. Wes, I'm sure you've experienced the mm-hmm. same thing. That even mm-hmm. when you have friends that speak really good English, unless their mm-hmm. English is amazingly good, mm-hmm. you watch them speak peda peda like a fluent um, uh, Japanese, and mm-hmm. you notice a uh, difference in their personality. Absolutely. And there was, and I just felt like there were sides of my friends that I got to know really well.
0: I
3: love that. That
1: I just didn't know. So yeah. even though I live in the U.S. now. I want Mm. to get to know my friends at that deeper level. Did you, have you experienced that?
0: 100% I often say that the reason I did decide to stay and uh, study the Japanese language is because first of all I realized it was more doable than I ever thought it was uh, initially after even two weeks of studying the language, but mainly the people I met here were so lovely, so phenomenal, and people I really wanted to bond with, and I felt that um, I did see them communicating with uh, their other friends in Japanese, and I felt like there was a side to them that I could not really connect with completely only speaking English, and, uh, I've heard the reverse too, uh, friends say that they want to study English because they've seen that, um, I, you know, I do still strain myself to speak Japanese with them right. and, uh, stuff like that, so, there's a huge cultural element to speaking a language that I think is uh, an amazing motivational factor, uh, mm-hmm. learning the culture and the people, uh, how people interact within the culture while you learn the language, which is yeah. really why I still study the language daily, and I still, I think, the whole reason I learned the language in the first place, actually, so, you articulated that fantastically
1: yeah it's 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 something you really don't fully understand until you make friends that speak that language you know right and then yeah. once you once you see them doing it you're just mm-hmm. like oh I feel like there's something I'm missing so it's 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 a good motivator for me now I've always felt it but I mm-hmm. like I was just like, nah, eh, I hate learning the language, so I'll just deal with the fact that their English is good and,
3: you know, mm-hmm.
1: that's that's good enough for now. But as soon as I found this method which I enjoyed, I was like, okay, I don't care that I don't live in the in the country anymore. I mean, I still go back pretty much every year. I was just there in March for a uh for a wedding, very cool. Dang, yeah, it was like awesome. it was like right before it shut down for COVID too. We were like, we bought for uh-huh. the very first time we bought dip, travel dip, insurance dip because it had like uh it had like emergency evacuation support and stuff like that. Dang. I've never bought travel insurance before in my life, and this is like the first time. But uh um, Yeah, and dude, Kyoto was a little creepy being so so empty. Empty, right? Yeah. Exactly. Uh-huh. It was. I off-putting at first
0: (laughs) i get that yeah i went to kyoto uh two weeks ago for work actually and it is so empty it's unbelievable how that is now it does seem like a ghost town and kyoto being a city that does kind of have a very traditional aesthetic it Mm -hmm. it is spooky having like old old building looking or old old streets just completely devoid of human beings i know yeah
1: beautiful but spooky Yeah, Especially I'm, I'm really glad that I got to experience it because uh-huh. it probably is something I won't get to see again in my life. Like these really mm. old roads, yeah. I got to I got to take pictures where nobody's in them, and like generally a lot of these little side roads, man. Even at like the dead of night, people will be oh, coming pat, in and out of right? somewhere, you know? Yeah, So exactly. it was really kind of nice, and I would say the only like shrines I went to where I felt like they uh-huh. were still busy, they weren't nearly as busy, but like, uh, Fushimi Inari Shrine and like, Kiyomizu, oh, they, they yeah. were still pretty busy, but like, yeah. the the more like lesser-known shrines, uh, and like, um, what is it, King Kakujin or whatever, the, the silver shrine way out there, that was like, really empty. Um, and Ginkakujin I think, is the name. Oh, um, yeah, I know that one. Yeah. With the love so, rock. Both, both of those were were pretty uh, were pretty dead. So that's so it was, interesting. It was really interesting. Yeah, Um, it's
0: been a blessing for photography work, to be quite honest, having like models (laughs) with no one else around. Yeah, I Unfortunately, and I hate to talk about, you know, such an awful thing so positively. Yeah. uh, And I can't wait for, you know, the pandemic to end. and. Honestly, you have to 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 try to to find
2: positive out of all the negative too, you know? Yeah, I agree. I remember telling you that you should walk around like Tokyo or Osaka just with your camera and just like record a couple days of just it being empty. So you can... Right, exactly. that to look back at one day because uh-huh. twenty I years have from now, you're gonna look back at you know Osaka mm-hmm. from COVID nineteen and yeah have video footage of it and you're like wow yeah, it's unbelievable insane how empty yeah. everything is <laughs> right yeah.
0: the center of Umeda last week just nobody there and the biggest crossing crossings of the city it's unreal. Uh-huh. anyway however we digress. Um <laughs> I would also like to ask you how would you recommend uh, Brett to someone that wants to learn the Japanese language or any language, therefore, to proceed uh, if they're studying from
1: zero. So um, if if I go, if I start rambling for too long, let me know. Uh, And if you have questions, feel free to let me know. But like kind of, um, I would like to just do a quick kind of spiel on why I think input method is the best. We kind of went over how learn it like you learn your first language, but why is learning that way, um, in my opinion? Or kind of, I would say, relatively um, scientifically backed the best way to learn a language. Um, Mm -hmm. First off, I want to say that I don't think this method is for everyone. Uh, I think that if you are going on a trip and you don't care about reaching a relatively at least intermediate or high level, uh, this method kind of comes with a lot of front-loaded, effort that isn't going to be worth it if you don't want to reach a high level Mm, but i would be willing to bet that most people say they want to reach a high level and for example with me you also got to be careful because getting started off you may think you just want to be able to to survive but as soon as you get to that level you're never going to be happy there's always the more you know the more you realize you don't know and the more that sticks out to you oh my gosh i don't know that and it makes you just absolutely feel like trash again you know exactly oh gosh so um If you think that there's any chance of wanting to reach a high natural level in the language, I think it's best to do this from the beginning because it'll save you a lot of time. Some people say that uh, doing the traditional method is like uh, unfixable. I don't necessarily believe that. I think that it's just less efficient to Mm -hmm. get to the point where you're speaking really natural Japanese. Because I know that like I've been on basically an output hiatus. I haven't spoken in a year and two months except for that trip that I did in March specifically because I noticed that even though I know the proper way now to say things through immersion mm. my yeah. mouth and my muscle memory still defaults to the old let's translate English oh. into Japanese so I'm kind of like but I notice that as my comprehension goes higher and higher and uh-huh. higher and I get yeah. more hundreds of hours of, of like really comprehensible native input I notice that that stuff is melting away so I would say if there's any chance of you wanting to reach a high level it's best just to do it from the beginning um, mm-hmm. So why is this method uh, the best way? Well, as we kind of like talked about before, in the um, the traditional way of like teaching you these grammar rules really doesn't work. One of the misconceptions that people have about language is, you know, people love to get like really uh, up in arms about like, oh, that's that's grammatically incorrect. Oh, that's incorrect. But what a lot of people don't really understand is that Grammar rules are actually an attempt to explain how language works. It's not what dictates how language works. Mm. Language came Mm. first and it came naturally. And people just kind of formed it from like, you know, different people's interpretation of what things were and it blended together based off of the areas. And then grammarians and academics came in and they're like, "Okay, we have to figure out how to explain this chaos. And they created grammar rules to explain it. And basically, uh-huh. constantly, they're coming up with new additions explaining new usage. Like, a lot of people just got really upset because I think uh, Webster's Dictionary in- included... What is it? Um, oh, what did people get mad about? I can't remember it off the top of my head, but something, um, something that people always say is, like, grammatically incorrect, but because people have used it for so long now, they it's added it as a grammatically correct. correct. It's it's sub... It's, like, not standard, mm. but it's still it's still in the dictionary as this is what you'll hear. I think it's irregardless. Yeah. Irregardless, they just... Um, irregardless, yeah. Irregardless. They just added mm. it, and people used to get up in arms over a long... But that's because really? grammar rules and, and definitions and dictionaries come from usage. Mm-hmm. Usage isn't dictated by that. Um, oh, wow. So, it's... An, and you'll notice like with grammar rules when you're reading them, all the time if you're like reading, uh, I'm sure you have like a, um, what is it, the uh, Dictionary of Basic Japanese or whatever. Um, yeah. Uh-huh. Of basic Japanese grammar. If you notice, as you're going through it, constantly they're saying like, oh, in this case it's used for this, in this case it's used for this. But there are exceptions. Yeah. Like so, all yeah. the time we, it says, but there are exceptions. So, you know?
2: uh, not to interrupt, but we do have a few pretty good comments here on the Twitch sure. stream. Um, it looks like we have one uh, question that says, do you guys recommend using uh, Anki for their flashcards, or do you think that it's better to take the time and make your own
1: flashcards to help with memorizing? Mm. That's a mm-hmm. really good question. Mm-hmm. Um, is it okay if we postpone that question for a few minutes? I just want to kind of get through the, the basic yeah. spiel in the beginning. Awesome. Because gotcha. uh, I definitely have uh, views on what I think is best for that. <laughs> so Sweet. Let's see. Did you want to do another question? Sorry.
2: Oh yeah. Um, I'm trying. Maybe a couple simple ones. Uh, this sure. one here is asking: Is it better to learn Japanese by yourself with an app or with a teacher? I mean, to me, that's it's uh, personal preference, but I mean, I taught. I was. I'm more self-taught, but I know mm-hmm. it definitely helps when you're speaking to a teacher.
1: Well. I, I, I personally think, and we'll get into uh, why in a, in a couple seconds, but I personally think it's best to learn uh, by yourself. Um, I feel like I love it. They're, until much later, when you're ready to output, because we de- in at Refold, we generally recommend that people don't output until their comprehension is pretty high. Um, so that's one of the front-loaded kind of investments that a lot of people find off-putting. But the main reason for that is because uh, if you don't understand what you're hearing, then you can't start building instincts for how it works. It's kind of like Um, Imagine somebody telling you to paint in, you know, to paint a beautiful, colorful picture when you still only hear in black and white or see in black and white. So like first you have to be able to see the colors. First you have to be able to hear the sounds, understand the words, and then you start picking up like, oh, how does this color blend with that? How does this word blend with that? How does this work with the particles and stuff like that? So it's it's hard not to output early. Um, It's hard to output early unless you're doing a kind of, skill-based way because the way that skill-based works is it teaches you this rule you take your english thought and you convert it so you can speak from the beginning whereas with input method it takes much more of a front-loaded investment of getting to a high level of comprehension first i get that yeah
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense
1: so um so what i was saying really quick uh i'll try and get through this really quick but what i was saying about um grammar is um The reason that I don't think that this works, this construction based kind of classroom uh, textbook method is because that's not how uh, language works and that's not how we as natives think about our own language. Like for example, um, if I said to you the big red dog or the red big dog, both of you would probably agree that the big red dog sounds more natural, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. We don't know why that is. Well actually there is a group, there are grammar rules that dictate or that explain that in a certain order, like uh, you know, color comes first and size comes next, there is an actual mm. thing. But if we sat down and actually studied and learned and drilled these exact orders that you have to put these things in and you start doing this complex math equation in your head, uh, mm-hmm. it's very quickly going to cause you to be out of the conversation because you're constantly thinking in your head, how do I construct my next sentence? You're not present mm. in the conversation. Yeah, you're not, you're not as agree. fully listening to them. So that's uh-huh. why I think acquisition is a much uh, better way to go about learning the language because you get to that level where you're not doing any math in your head. You know,
3: if
1: if these, if grammar rules really were how language was put together, then Google Translate 10 years ago would have been the best translation service in the world because computers (gasps) are way better at rules than we are. You just program Uh them in there and they execute them perfectly every single time. Mm -hmm. But um but they're not. It's just, it isn't until recently when they started applying really complex mathematical like algorithms that actually they feed them hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of books that mm-hmm. translation services have started getting better. Because basically now what those algorithms are doing is they're acquiring language instead of learning the grammar rules.
0: Oh uh, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And I get that a ton actually um mainly mainly because a lot of my friends here do ask me to help them with their English homework which I don't know right. what the answers to. Um, yeah. they're like asking for the grammar rules and I know what sounds right, I know what sounds wrong in English of course. Exactly. But I can't explain why and because right. I have never studied that. Um I could probably do a better job at doing that uh, with Japanese because I studied that more recently and I studied the rules right. and uh, telling so. But yeah, I I, uh, I think I would fail a Japanese-English test, to be quite honest. <laughs> and
1: I would uh, be willing to bet... Mm. Now, maybe you've, maybe you've had enough input at this point where this isn't as true, but I'd be willing to bet mm. that you probably still very much um, mm. converse with what we call a monitor, which is you're mm. constantly thinking about the thing that you need to do and how you need to arrange it in order to say it oh. properly. Right? Yeah,
0: like, absolutely. That would be the case. That's very interesting. I would say
1: that there's certain things that you probably, like for example, like with me, um, very early on because we hear mm-hmm. it all the time. When somebody says Genki, there's no, yeah. there's no translation that happens. And there's uh. no point when you want to say, oh, Genki, there's no mm-hmm. point that I think, oh, how do I ask them how their day is or or how they're doing today? It just comes mm-hmm. out because I feel Genki. I yeah. feel I want to say Genki and I say it. And this mm-hmm. method is all about getting to that level of familiarity with
0: I love that with the whole language, almost habitual. Like um, exactly, you would, would think of the language we so respond right. to in the language.
1: And basically, That's the fantastic. way that the way that we get to that level is uh-huh. by postponing output uh, and focusing on input. Because mm-hmm. definitely, one thing that I've noticed, uh, having learned the language the way that I did, is that people very quickly can peg your skill level. Mm -hmm. And you get an overconfidence in your skill in the language because they are literally custom-making language that is fit for your current level, not for the level you want to achieve.
0: I feel you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh So you're saying that maybe my friends here in Japan would uh, speak to me differently than they would to uh, anyone else because they want to not say, like, too many strange things or something that I would understand? That's what I Mm -hmm. found. And a lot of times Mm -hmm. I remember back...
1: Back even when my language was was much worse than it is now, I remember feeling like, I, oh, wow, I've really gotten good at this until I would watch native television or a native yeah. TV show. And then I'd 100%. be like, oh, now th- this is how I realize that I'm – Pretty trash <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah
0: because you realize people do cater the way they speak to foreigners sometimes exactly. uh, to make their uh-huh and I do right. the same thing when I'm speaking to my friends that I know have a moderate level of English um, yeah. I don't use like slang that much um to be quite honest most of my friends at this point in my life don't care at all about my Japanese language they speak however they want to speak to me mm-hmm. and uh, I, I think that's phenomenal for my uh, practice but it is recognizably challenging And I think that the way you said that um, TV is a great uh, snapshot of how you know day-to-day Japanese is spoken is uh, true. Yeah, I think. Yeah, it's it's really
1: it's really nice, and it's also nice because um, until you get to a certain point, uh, there's almost like a kind of a. A point where you reach, once you're at about 98, 99% comprehension of native Japanese, Mm -hmm. you kind of start needing conscious study less, like you don't need the Anki as much, because Mm. you can start actually getting exposure to things through immersion and understanding what things mean through context, but until you get to that kind of critical mass... Um, Having a controlled environment is much easier because I remember going out and even when I was doing Genki, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to go out and I'm just going to like go speak to somebody at a bar and I'm going to power through this. And Mm -hmm. I just felt so bad. I was just like, I don't understand a thing this guy is saying. I have Mm -hmm. to ask him to repeat everything a hundred times. It was just, it felt like I was drowning in the language. And that's oh. kind of the nice thing about doing this like upfront uh, concentration on input and comprehension is that mm-hmm. if you can get to that point, even if your output is t- terrible, at least you can understand everything that's coming in and eventually you'll be able to you'll be able to output cuz i can tell you this if on a scale of 1 to 10 10 being absolutely native zero, 0 being absolutely no nothing i would rather have my output be a 3 and my input be a 10 than vice versa oh i'd okay. have to agree yeah for I sure like
2: because uh, I can ask anybody, how do you say this in Japanese? Yeah. <laughs> but if I can't uh-huh. comprehend what they're saying, then there's no point in me asking. Exactly. You know? I love that. Yeah. Uh huh. And so- you,
1: you can, you can speak around the stuff that you don't know. So, like, mm-hmm. exactly. if I don't know, the, if I don't know the word for television, I can just be like, oh, you know, uh, screen people watch things on. You know, <laughs> I can speak right. around the stuff that I don't know. But mm-hmm. if they say a word I don't know, there's a disconnect. You know, and mm-hmm. now the conversation is stopped so exactly. it's much more important in my opinion to focus on comprehension not only does that help you get to the level where you are speaking instinctually but it's also i've found even though it's fun is like a, a early novelty trick it's almost impossible to have a meaningful conversation until your comprehension is relatively high
3: mm,
0: i agree yeah absolutely and yeah i do that speaking around terminology uh quite a lot actually um yeah i uh for the most part like if there's a word that you don't know how to explain uh, or a word you don't know you can explain it fairly easily right. and I do the same thing in English to be quite honest every once in a while but yeah. um yeah uh, but comprehension is future, and I do think so I would say input is a listening comprehension and then output is speaking comprehension I would or, yeah yeah basically that...
1: In- input is any any input mm-hmm. it can be reading as well as a matter of fact I find that because reading allows you to like slow down the language to manageable uh, speed like when mm-hmm. somebody's speaking even on a TV show like yeah you can mm-hmm. repeat the line uh, yeah. but it's 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 at full speed so like sometimes mm-hmm. it's nice just to stop pull up the subtitles and read it so you can really kind of like focus on new concepts and new words yes. that you've never come across before mm mm-hmm. So whether oh, okay. it's reading or or listening, um, I find that any amount of input is good. It's just that reading, if you're reading novels instead of yeah. subtitles, uh, you're going to have a much larger domain of language because a picture is worth a thousand words. So when there's no pictures, they have to add a thousand more words. You know what I, mean? <laughs> I love that. So. <laughs> That's amazing, yeah.
0: Absolutely. Do you have any uh, t- tips or ideas for people uh, who want to increase their input knowledge?
3: Or yeah. maybe just start, start up. So,
1: so one of the, um, it- just a full disclosure um mm-hmm. I am a big fan of the method that I do obviously refold. Uh, I'm the ad- administrator of their Japanese server for Discord. Oh wonderful. Heck but yes. I don't get paid. I do it because I believe in it. Like I'm I'm not monetarily connected to refold at all. So if it ever seems like I'm like overly pushing refold, it's uh-huh. just because I believe in it. But love that. at refold we do have on the website <clears throat> step by st- like stage by stage how the best way to execute immersion is because Mm -hmm. if you are watching or reading japanese with Mm -hmm. intent to learn fully focused Mm -hmm. looking up the things you don't know trying to comprehend it eventually you will learn the language no matter what but if you want to learn it in three years instead of eight it's Mm -hmm. good to kind of you know, uh, benefit from the experience of people like Matt versus Japan and Ethan that have learned languages or Matt I know at least has learned a language to an extremely high level I remember sending one of the reasons that I was very into MIA is because I I sent a video of him speaking Japanese to my friend and I took away the video and I'm Mm -hmm. like, how's how uh, how um, does this person speak what like because I wanted to hide the fact that he was a, a foreigner, and I was mm-hmm. like, "What, um, what like dialect do you think this guy is speaking? It sounds oh. like it sounds like Kansai, but I'm not very uh-huh. good." And she's like, "Oh no, he's definitely from Tokyo."
0: No way! Yeah. What? So very fluent, very natural. Yeah. Huh? So he was he it's was amazing. very he
1: was very good.
0: Um, I love that. Uh-huh. And
1: uh, she did say that like um, like oh you know there's there's some things that are a little off. He might have spent time down south or something like that, but mm-hmm. he sounds like he's from Tokyo. I'm like, oh well, he's actually from i think portland or something like that <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's so interesting wow yeah that so yeah and i would like to take this time to also say that uh i have seen your speaking japanese abilities and i've watched him with my friends here from japan also and every i agree this the way you speak japanese sounds like the way my friends speak japanese here uh like oh, nice. fluently natively and Thank my you. friends here agree so it's fantastic and if that's anything uh to contribute to just the validity, the validity of it. anything you say, that's, that's what I have. It's fantastic. And I will Thoughts. definitely
1: say this, uh, I'm still uh-huh. on my journey, I'm still not at my, what I consider the level that I want to be at. Matt yeah. is probably ten times better than me, and oh, yeah. he's the one that created, you know, this method, and worked on this method, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, um, I do, I will say that, like, even though I had faith in this method, because it's basically how I learned almost everything that I mm-hmm. enjoyed learning in my life, it's basically yeah. like I said. It's watching the pros and then doing it. There are there were times during the first year that I was like, "Oh man, I, I feel like I'm learning nothing." That's one of the downsides oh. of immersion learning, is that I the see. more you start to realize you know, um, actually I can even uh, show you guys a little uh, a little diagram I have here if you want. I'd love
0: to see. Yeah, absolutely. Okay,
1: so this this little diagram kind of explains. Uh, immersion learning and how you feel. So the the axis on the left is your subjective comprehension. So how well you think you're understanding. And then the axis on the bottom is your actual language ability. So your actual language ability is constantly going up. But this Mm. holds true to my experience completely where you feel like you're getting really good and then you realize you're bad. And then you feel like you're really good and then you realize you're bad. And you go through the spikes a few times and then you get to this like chasm uh, right there. That just kind of lasts a while and I remember when uh-huh. I was in that chasm I was just like oh my gosh I've been hoodwinked this this method is garbage you know uh-huh. and uh yeah I've been bamboozled I got, I can relate. yeah exactly <laughs> and then once I got through that chasm once I got uh-huh. through that kind of like plateau and like it was for me it was almost like overnight I, I just like I was so discouraged and then I was watching an anime and I'm just like oh I literally just understood that whole episode. Right. Yes. And it exactly. Was like, it was like instantly, and I was just like, uh-huh. "Oh, I, I like came to this realization," and yeah, I just so happened to get lucky. To the that, core. Yeah. And it was and in and at that moment, I had even more faith in the method. You know.
0: <laughs> I love that. That's fantastic. I've had the same experience. Um, I've had times I've said before where I know words that I never remember studying yeah. or anything like that, or phrases, which is fantastic. Yeah. And that, yeah, that graph is ph- phenomenal as well. I always refer to that as like, um, I think Japan. Uh, le- learning the Japanese language does have a very steep learning curve. So there are those times mm-hmm. where you do feel like you're plateauing as a yeah. linguist, as you are not getting traction. And, uh, yeah. com- as I feel like I've hit a brick mm-hmm. wall
2: at least three times now. Yeah. And I've only been studying mm-hmm. since August. Like, I Heck mean, yeah. like a brick wall. Like, I... Oh, yeah. Like, to the point where, like, I want to take a few days off because I feel, like, intimidated by where I am in my studies. Mm-hmm. You yeah. Know? Mm-hmm.
1: My, my theory on that is you. that... Um, I feel like my theory on that is that in the beginning, uh, every single word you learn has such uh, use. It has. You'll you'll hear it in like every every single day. You'll hear it used. You know, Mm -hmm. like like hashiru. Not a day goes by watching content where I don't hear somebody mention running somewhere, you know? Mm-hmm, so it's like mm-hmm. very, very high frequency words. So you just feel like, oh, I hear that word. Oh, I hear that word. You still don't understand sentences, but you're getting all of these like kind of little dopamine boosts of hearing the word. Mm-hmm. And then you get to the point where that becomes normal. And now you have this long list, this like, you know, because the first, I think, like thousand words are used in like 70% of the language. Yeah. The The next like yeah. 5,000 words only add like ten percent comprehension so you have this big <laughs> chunk of words that you need to go less distance in comprehension so yeah. it's not it's not until you kind of get over that hump and start seeing the results that you're like oh, oh yeah. okay this is working you know
2: mm-hmm. I agree yeah that makes yeah. a lot of sense actually
0: right exactly and I do say often that um I think just tenacity uh, dedication uh, what just determination really just to study a bit daily is a key factor in learning the language and that is not something that I like inherently have as a human being I just had that because of immersion because I was here uh, I had no choice because of classes having a teacher make sure I get stuff down and having to try to order food daily Um, but having that sort of like discipline forced upon me was phenomenal and Mm -hmm. if you can uh, it sounds like Brett and uh, Brandon as well. You are both doing it yourselves for self study, and I have so much admiration and respect for that. That's fantastic.
1: Yeah, I um, but, mm-hmm. I like it a lot more with input learning than I did with uh, traditional learning. That's that's for sure. I uh, wish I knew that method. Yeah, back in yeah, me too. I wish I I wish I knew it back when I was living there. Because as soon mm-hmm. as I kind of got to that point where I've reached critical mass, then mm-hmm. basically you're just immersing twenty four seven because you're there. Mm-hmm. You don't. Even I have feel to
2: fortunate know. that I'm still. Very early in my learning, that I can take advantage of all of this, you know. Uh huh. Um, Because I feel like I've only, uh, I've only learned roughly 400 words uh, that I could say by memory. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've uh, definitely got hiragana and uh, mostly katakana down, and it's it, it feels great. You're right. You get like that dopamine. Boost of you can start reading, you start writing, and yeah. right. uh, but then it becomes you're complacent with that, and now all you need to do is learn more words that are commonly used. But it's it it definitely is uh, difficult whenever the tools that have been provided to me for self learning,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, they I feel like they jump from like a one to a ten sometimes on difficulty and learning,
1: mm-hmm. and
2: they don't give you like a break in between. So mm-hmm. uh, when mm-hmm. you were Showing me how uh, Anki worked and the method that you're using, it clicked. Like this is exactly what I needed. This yeah. is this is verbatim
1: what I needed. So, yeah, yeah. it it definitely takes um for the f- for the first three months not as much for the second six months uh it definitely takes a little bit of faith uh in the in mm-hmm. the method but mm-hmm. then like I said once you get through that chasm. You'll you'll be hooked. You'll you'll know that it works because you would have overcome a couple of those uh, apparent plateaus. They feel like plateaus, but they're actually not. You're constantly growing. You just don't notice the growth as much. Um, so definitely, just know that that's normal when you get to it. But mm-hmm. you'll you Thank will you. return back to that really good feeling of oh my gosh, I'm actually understanding like all of this. You know, uh, yeah. relatively quickly. You know, I love it. There, there are two quick points I wanted to touch on and then uh, hit up some uh, questions. Some I know questions we in the comments. The, uh, um, yeah, sounds good. Just because I remember that these two examples when I was being introduced to this method really meant a lot to me. So I'm hoping that this will help it click in people's minds. Mm-hmm. I should have brought water. Um, so uh, one is uh, going back to the whole like grammar thing. Um, one thing that really kind of stuck with me was the idea that I started to notice that things can be 100% completely grammatically correct and still sound unnatural.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of those
1: mm-hmm. things is, um, Wes, I'm not I'm not sure if you've really uh, come across this phrase yet in everyday use because it's not mm-hmm. like super common unless you like yeah. live with somebody. But uh-huh. if you live with somebody, one thing that you're constantly asking is, have you seen my? Like, have you seen my phone? Have you seen my keys? Uh-huh. And yeah. if I was to say that, Using Genki I would say oh no mita or or, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. or something like that, right? Exactly. And that's one hundred percent completely grammatically correct.
2: Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> But it's exactly. not
1: how Japanese people would say it. When I mm-hmm. say oh, that, my, my girlfriend would like, tilt her head like a, you know, like this for a second, trying to think of what I was saying, and then she'd be like, oh, okay. Because what oh, they would yeah. say is, oh, oh, Kitai Shiranai, Do you not know my kitai Or do you oh, not know my cell phone? That
0: is so interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah and the thing uh-huh. is though, is that languages are filled with thousands and thousands of thousands of these. And you, if you try and drill them all, instead of just getting a feel for them, it's, mm-hmm. in my opinion, gonna take much longer, and also, like I said, you're gonna always have that monitor where you're like, yeah. Oh, what do they say in this case? instead of just having it come out. Um, exactly. the other thing is this idea of acquired uh skill. Um, mm-hmm. so, like, if if I was to say that you know, I want you to get good at balancing, you know. You wouldn't go read a book mm. that said, oh, if you're going left, you go right. And if you're going right, you go left because that's like very obvious. But th- those are the rules of balancing, right? I
0: suppose. But yes. there's
1: no amount of reading that rule that is going to get you to balance properly. Like all you, ha- you can do is balance. And, there's- and it's mm. not a conscious thing. It's literally you just have to lose your balance thousands <laughs> of times before uh-huh. your body learns how to adjust mm-hmm. instinctually without thinking about it. Correct. You know, so it's 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 kind of like that idea. Um, I think one of the things that turns people off to this method is that it's not as cerebral. It's not as obvious why things are happening because it's almost happening mm. magically in the background. I, I remember like there was there was an example of um, of uh, Japanese uh, chick gendering. Right. So mm. back in the day, like when, when chicks are first born the uh, parts that make them a certain uh, uh, male or female are so small that you cannot tell if they're male or female. Yeah, But
0: did not know that.
1: But in order to properly sort them so that they know which ones are gonna lay eggs and which ones aren't, they need to know. So when they're born, what, they, what the Japanese ended up coming up with is a method for gendering a chick that is inexplainable. It's just basically they would look at the area and they can't even explain why they know, they just know. And the way that they would train new chicken genders is by having a master stand behind them and say, guess what this is? And they would say, male? And they would say, no, oh, female. And they would just do that over and over until the apprentice could just do it instinctually. And they couldn't explain exactly what they were doing. This is basically how how language acquisition works. It's our subconscious pattern recognition brain getting tons of exposure so that we just work in the language Mm -hmm. automatically.
0: Very trial and error, I would say. Just like, I'll get that. And the
1: nice thing is, is unlike output, which is another reason why I recommend holding output if you can, obviously someone in your situation, uh, Wes, you wouldn't be able to, you're living in the country. Um, so. I'm not saying that it's detrimental. Uh, mm, some yeah. people say it's detrimental. I personally think that as long as you still have a focus on fixing it, you'll be able to fix it. But yeah. um, I do think it's the most efficient way to wait till your comprehension is high. Because, I like um, know. because when you're inputting, there's an automatic built-in uh, feedback loop of, did I understand this or did I not? Uh, when you're outputting, uh, there is no automatic feedback loop of did I say this properly or did I not? So it's more yeah. efficient to focus on the mechanism that's going to feed your instincts rather than try and output early and potentially form bad habits before you have an instinct for the language.
0: Yeah, I get that. Dang, that's amazing. If, if possible, you know. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Um, but in the end, sticking with What are some resources? It, sorry?
1: Sorry, I was just going to say, but in the end, sticking with okay. it is more important than a optimal you know path for a robot so mm-hmm. in yeah, the end take all that. these things with a grain of salt because if you end up quitting then that's way less efficient than anything you could do so yeah make Which sure is, you know what makes you Spanish? motivated as well i know yeah, whenever i force myself
2: sense. to do my session every day of uh practice and learning i feel like uh-huh. i have to like i have to genuinely like take out my english brain yeah. And put in my Japanese brain and so <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean like because I'm trying to absorb everything as much as I can as if I was a child right you know um yeah, and by doing that I try to uh, just completely forget entirely all English grammar that I yeah. can you know I'm trying yeah. my hardest to think sp- specifically 100 percent Japanese grammar whenever I'm reading writing and I'm practicing uh, my you know vocabulary
1: so, that's That's really good because Japanese, uh, Wes. I would be willing. I would think that you agree with this uh, in your experience, Mm -hmm. but in my experience, Japanese is so unbelievably different from English. It's like hard to even believe it. Like it's so different, reversed. Like everything, and not only that, but just like. The way that they express things, like the information that they put Mm -hmm. into a sentence compared to not put into a sentence, Mm -hmm. the way that they think, the way that they, you know, kind of beat around the bush and the way that you have to read the air of a situation. Like all these things are so unbelievably different from how we interact Mm -hmm. in English. I I think the number one thing people can do to uh, speed up their language acquisition process or one of the number one things they can do is to never ask yourself, uh, why is that? Because almost everything is going to be different than English. Oh, oh just accept do, it, huh? Yeah, just accept it. Why oh, do yeah. they have different counters for everything? It's, <laughs> it's just because the, it's the way it is. Don't worry ah. about it, you know? <laughs> yeah, I feel that. That's a good point, yeah. exactly. And if you are in a Japanese language
0: course, like, no one wants to take the time to literally have the teacher explain that kind of thing. Yeah, Anyway. exactly. good point. Don't be that kid, for real. And, um... Yeah, honestly, I ask myself that, honestly, internally, daily. But I do agree that just uh, approaching it kind of like wholeheartedly just with a full open mind, accepting right. everything for the way it is, uh, not right. trying to compare everything to your native tongue, your native culture, because I do think you did touch on one of the most important points for me is um, that learning the language does go toe-in-toe with learning the culture and mm-hmm. the way that people think, even if it's more, I am I, how do you say that in English? Uh, ambiguous sometimes in Japan, mm-hmm. the way you communicate, uh, you say mm-hmm. things and you expect your uh, communication partner to read more in between to the lines. Read it. yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, uh, say, saying things like, st- uh, uh yeah. sorry, uh, choto. It's like, oh, uh, that's a little. Exactly. I would yeah. I would always think to myself, back when I was studying Genki, my girlfriend would say that and be like, it's a little what? I have no <laughs> idea what you're trying to say.
0: Uh huh, exactly, <laughs> yeah. So for listeners that don't know, choto means like a little bit. Uh, you could say like, choto karai, which means a bit spicy, choto osoi, a little bit late. However, if you want to decline plans or something, or you want to say no to something, you can just say, ah, sorry, choto, and you just stop there. Like, that's a little bit. And then you assume that you're, uh, the partner you're talking with will just not expect you to say why you don't want something to happen, which is yeah. fine, which is cool. Actually, very convenient, to be honest.
2: Mm-hmm. And now when I hear that, I just think, no, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> it's so strange because whenever I hear like certain grammar, structure or how how certain sentences are structured... Um, mm-hmm. In Japanese, like if you were to like break it down in like a literal translation, sometimes I think to myself, like that would seem rude if you said that to someone here, you know. Yeah. But I'm sure if yeah, you were to word. also break certain because they try to keep their proni- pronouns out, you know, and um, uh, mm-hmm. that way there's not really any pointing fingers in a weir- weird way about who you're talking it's about really that, or what yeah. you're talking about sometimes. Mm-hmm but i feel yeah. like it'd be also the same way in japanese if you were to do literal translations because like if you ever go to like google maps and look at restaurant reviews in anywhere in like tokyo it seems like everyone's being really rude but they're not because it's just google doing a literal translation because right. it doesn't have like mm. the phonetics of not understanding that That's there's so no pronouns in that sentence right. so they add them <laughs> to make up for it <laughs> right yeah, for sure no joke <laughs> The other crazy yeah. thing
1: about Japanese that I've noticed is that um, if you translate Spanish word for word, you'll almost always understand what's being said. Mm-hmm. If you translate uh-huh. Japanese word for word, you almost always don't understand what's being said. Still, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's Virtua really actually. weird.
2: Yeah, right. Yeah. That Did we want true. to look over some of these comments then? That's. Uh, it looks like yeah. um, Twitch to seems to be Looking the uh, chat of choice. Um, gotcha, gotcha. We haven't really had uh, too many people comment.
1: Yeah, um, I, I apologize, everybody, for my long spiel, but it, it does take some uh some explaining no, great. to kind of understand the process. For me. Yeah, yeah,
2: no, very much appreciated taking the Did time. Did you so want to go that. back to that first question that we were? Yeah, to go back what was to. it about Anki? Yeah, it says uh, do you guys recommend using Anki for their flashcards, or do you think it's better to take the time to make your own flashcards mm-hmm. to help with memorization?
1: Yeah. So. My views on this are, um, at at Refold, we generally recommend a bit of both. When you're getting your foundation, um, we have a couple uh, sources that we have you sentence mine from. Or you can buy the Tango N5, the JLPT N5 prep book. Mm-hmm. And the thing that's different, though, is that we have them not really focus on the textbook itself, but literally just focus on deconstructing the sentences. So you go from sentence to meaning. So that's kind of like the main thing that I would say is like... Um, when people ask me, oh, is this method good? Is that method good? It's like, well, almost any method can be good if you use it properly. Mm-hmm. But if you ever find yourself going from an English cue into Japanese, I feel like you are following a potentially harmful method. You should mm-hmm. always be going from Japanese into English. And eventually we want to skip English altogether and go into oh. base just, ment- we call it mental ease. It's like when you see a lamp, you generally don't come into a room and be like lamp microphone you just recognize them as concepts in your head when you are sad you generally don't think in your in your head oh I'm sad you just feel sad so mm. that's what we call like mental ease it's 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 void of language so eventually like you just want to go into straight mental ease um, but mm-hmm. that takes a long time that takes probably a couple of years to get to that point but mm-hmm. use mm-hmm. English as it but you always want to go from Japanese into meaning um, Very cool. But once you get that foundation, once you're through those kind of like core 1,000 sentences that are in Mm -hmm. that deck, then we do what's called sentence mining. And sentence mining is all about searching for low-hanging fruit. So while I'm immersing, Mm. I'll be listening for sentences where I understand everything except for one element. One grammar rule, one one new use of a word, one new vocabulary, anything. Just one element. It's those kind of, like, perfect low-hanging fruit sentences that you want to hunt down, and then we add that to our Anki deck and study it and basically slowly chip away at the language one perfect sentence at a time.
0: Mm. That is so interesting. Yeah, I do the same thing here still. Oftentimes, like, there's a word I don't know or something like that that I Mm kind of just uh, guess. I just, an educated guess on words I don't know. And same with reading kanji. Uh, Context, the context of the sentence can leave me to guess the meaning if I don't quite remember what the word means, if that's yeah. what you're talking about. Uh-huh.
2: Okay. We got a question that says, is it possible to go to Japan with a friend as an exchange student, or is that not possible?
0: Oh, um. I read the yeah. I read that comment, actually. Very cool. Uh, I believe like if you're in the same school, I don't see any reason against it. That's the mm-hmm. way I came to here to Japan. Uh, my friend told me about an exchange program that they had signed up for, and uh, I jumped on board myself, which was how I first got here, which is very cool, um so if you're at the same school, hopefully, yes, and if you're going
2: through uh, outside of schools, then I don't see a reason why not all right, we got what is the best way to build comprehension when immerse, uh, while emerging being ah. immersive, yeah, so
0: great question. I would just say daily practice of reading and writing, um Brett do you have any yeah. input on that
1: mm-hmm. uh yeah, um, I would say that. Uh, acquisition happens best when we understand something that we couldn't previously. That's why we kind of hunt down these perfect sentences, because the more of the sentence you understand, the more context you know, the more that one little piece is going to create an aha moment of like, oh, that's new, a new something that I understood. So one of the things in the beginning, unfortunately, there's just going to be a, a time where your comprehension isn't very high, and you're just literally searching for things on a word level. So you'll be looking for like the, you know, few words that you know. But one thing that can help is by engaging in audio-visual content because the pictures can add a lot of context and even if you didn't, you know, understand one sentence or ten sentences, you can still kind of follow the story and know what's going on and someone might hold up a ball and say ball and then you're like, oh, the word for that's ball and you come up, you know, the, the visuals will help uh, create these kind of like moments and bridge the gap between comprehension.
0: Yes. Agreed. huh. it's well cool. And then
1: also, uh, watching with Japanese subtitles on can be more helpful than you think. Even if you don't know kanji, uh, the more that you see the, like these symbols, the more you'll just start to recognize them. Almost like you recognize somebody's face. Like, Oh, I've I, seen yeah. this guy before, you know, I, I personally
2: uh-huh. suggest Neon Neo Genesis. Um, if you have netflix you have neon genesis and they have japanese subtitles and it's really cool um because nice. they don't use too much kanji so it does give it's more of a beginner you know hey, uh, well, you're like awesome. oh mostly everything's hiragana cool <laughs> there's a little bit I of katakana but it's definitely Sick. really good for uh beginners in my opinion so if you if you like um neon genesis then i highly recommend watching it
1: with japanese subtitles while good listening you know. to it in japanese heck yeah i like that a lot Another pro so. tip is um, there's certain, not all of them, so you got to be careful, but there's certain uh, VPNs like NordVPN and ExpressVPN and a few mm. other private VPN, I think, that still work with um, Netflix. So mm-hmm. you can actually get a VPN subscription and set your location to Japan, and then you'll get access to a lot more a lot content. lot more with oh, yeah. subtitles because subtitles a lot of times aren't available even though they have them outside of Japan mm. so to get the subtitles and make it really easy to yeah. uh, study
0: uh, that's, that's really true. helpful I use ExpressVPN to get my Netflix back to America Netflix get back what to am America I do America. want American <laughs> subtitles so yeah that works out I, I can vouch that works out well Yeah. Okay. Um, What are some ways to access these resources, Brett, that you've talked about for uh, people at any language level that would want to use these resources to learn the language better?
1: So I would say the best place to start is just to read the articles on the Refold website. It's Mm Refold.LA, and. It's, you know, start in the about section, do stay read the stage one articles, read the stage two articles. That'll give you kind of a, a foundation in the method. And then I would mm-hmm. say the best thing to do would be to join the discord because the articles aren't ready yet, but then there are specific um, Japanese articles that we have that show mm-hmm. you step by step awesome. how to apply the method to Japanese specifically. Or if you want to learn a different language, we also have like Korean and Chinese and Spanish and all sorts of other servers as well.
0: Very cool. That's fantastic. Yeah. and it goes
1: through everything it goes through hiragana katakana getting a foundation in kanji and then it Mm -hmm. gives you the the foundation for tango and how to go through all of the steps it's really nicely laid out
0: I love it and I will be uh, checking out those links and posting them on discord and twitter as well as uh, other uh, platforms that we operate so that's very cool for me to do and also probably using them myself because I'm still in the process of learning the language myself which is I'm excited about I think we can squeeze
2: maybe two more in here you guys yeah Let's go for All it right. absolutely Let's see here looking out um, I've got uh, do you have any tips for someone wanting to use the refold method but needs more structure to stay motivated?
1: Ooh, that's that's hard because it is one of the hard things about input um, learning, like I said, is that mm-hmm. it kind of happens magically in the background by just getting lots of immersion. Uh, but one of the things that really helps, I think, for people that like structure is, one, go through the, the Tango deck. Tango has uh, N5 through N1. We don't recommend going past N4, but if that's really a big thing for you, you could continue possibly going through the books. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a good thing because there's a lot of kind of like not very useful language in the uh, JLPT and I think it'd be better off sentence mining so yourself. But another thing that kind of adds a little bit of a feeling of progress, of structure, is just seeing your sentence count go up. So as you add sentences, you can feel like you made progress um, because you're getting more sentences in your deck. You just have to be careful about avoiding this trap of thinking that Anki is where the real learning is happening. Anki is mm-hmm. a supplement to immersion. Immersion is where the real magic happens. So,
0: I love that, yeah. And for those listeners that do not know, um, N5 to N1 is the levels of Japanese language vocabulary, essentially, uh, and how you get tested on your language capability. N5 is the most introductory level of uh, being certified for Japanese fluency, and then N1 is the most difficult level of Japanese fluency, uh, it's like, I tried to take the test It's so beyond, it's like samurai Words that only samurai <laughs> would use And you would only see in like historical textbooks And things yeah. like that, and like architectural uh, And like doctor words I, yeah. <laughs> I don't have any other way to say it But yeah um, I
1: feel like the reason they do that is because N1 mm. is a requirement for a lot of Business settings in mm-hmm. Japan mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. they yeah. want you to know all of this really technical Oh you're going to yeah. see it in documents type of language But it's not super useful for everyday yeah
0: uh, absolutely i'm certified to do translation outside of anything legal or medical or anything like that and i see why like if you do need to do like um legal translations for japanese or uh medical translations business translations i do believe n one would be necessary yeah. but if you're just having
2: a conversation probably those are words you would use like once a year probably mm-hmm. like watching a honestly i feel like something. if you get at least an n3 proficiency you should be more than okay with uh you know mm-hmm. Communicating on yeah, a daily basis with that. most people Definitely. natively. Uh-huh.
1: I, I will say that um, I personally believe that it is um, a little backwards, though, how people focus on trying to get an end level and they start yeah. for the mm-hmm. end level. I think mm-hmm. it's yeah, best true. to focus on just understanding, like I said, understanding native content and the end oh, 100%. will come naturally. naturally. Like, I, I know quite a few people, actually, that mm-hmm. passed N1. And yeah. m- and all of my friends say that my Japanese is actually much Woo. better than theirs are. Heck yeah, 100%. <laughs> and, and I don't think I could pass N1 yet. So
0: I never could, definitely. Yeah. Uh, so, and to be honest, I took the N2 test. No one cares about that. Uh, every time I've applied for a job, no one's asked me for it. I, uh, <laughs> you know, throw it in my resume. No one's ever given a heck about uh, mm-hmm. my certification, as long as yeah. I can have a conversation with them, yep. uh, for the most part. And generally, so, they only
1: yeah. use that JLPT level as a uh, resume thing. You're still going to have to come in and prove that you can speak Japanese. So even if you ace the test, if your uh, speaking ability and your comprehension isn't high, it's not going to yeah. really accomplish much. It's just going to yeah. get you a interview that you won't get. Exactly. I say we
2: got time for one more question. The last question like uh, that we have is, do you recommend any exchange programs? And did, uh, did you have to actually do school uh, work in Japan, in the Japanese school in Japan. Sorry, mm-hmm. the wording. <laughs> no, got it. Another question is: Can you get a job in Japan while being an exchange student? Sorry if that's a lot of questions. No, all good. Uh, mind if I tackle these ones? I think I know what the
0: answer. Is. Yeah, so, far, so I went through J Ship. Um, I went J Ship was allowed to me because I was at uh in the UC Santa Cruz program uh, as a student. I finished most of my major requirements before I came here to Japan and I took some classes online that helped me graduate with my major which was digital media while being here. But being here I mainly only studied Japanese to be honest in the language. Uh, I had Japanese language courses and college courses and I only had uh, two business classes that I took here in English um, at Japanese schools to help me graduate with my major. And uh, what was the second one? I forgot. Hold on. Uh, the question... Where can I get?
2: Can you uh, have a job while exchange, oh, yes. being an
0: exchange? Oh, yes. So, uh, you are allowed a part time job with a student visa here uh, for a certain amount of hours per week. And I worked here at a ramen shop and also cleaning hotels and uh, guest houses when I was a student nice. here. And I probably worked maybe three, four times a week uh, for a couple hours per day doing these jobs. And uh, as long as you have your student visa, you can just show them and you have to get a, a, a second work permit to work for these jobs through the city council hall and you just take your student visa, uh, show them that at the city council, uh, sorry, the city hall and uh, you're good to go. So absolutely. And honestly, I there is a limitation to how much you can work, how much time, how many hours per week you can work, but I would not have ever wanted to work more than they provided because doing that as well as being a student is a hustle, I would say. So, yeah, you can, and, you know, it's great extra income, and a cool experience as well, and great language practice, without a doubt. Hope that answers the question. Mm-hmm.
2: I think that's, uh, I think that wraps up everything, so.
0: Yeah, uh-huh, absolutely. Let's see. Yeah. Uh, Brett, anything else you would like to add about the language learning process for input-output?
1: Um... No, I think we pretty much uh, covered everything. I would just say check out um, Refold. You can also Google uh, Matt vs. Japan or uh, Steven Um I don't, you know, obviously I believe in the refold method, but even if you guys look up refold and you're like, oh, this isn't for me, definitely still look up uh, some of Stephen Krashen's videos and make sure you get familiar with it because even if you're doing a classroom or textbook kind of style, um, learning the theory behind immersion, I think will at least help you avoid some of the really kind of detrimental downsides of doing that. So getting a lot of immersion on top of that, I think would still be very beneficial.
0: I love that that sounds fantastic absolutely so um yeah we're gonna wrap it up now we might do some conversations afterwards if you all want to stick around but for now this wraps up season 1 episode 8 of Travel Japan with West Matho podcast much thanks to our co-host Brandon Bates and especially definitely so much thanks to uh, Brett Williams for checking out our podcast joining us here and talking about the amazing way that you have studied the art and science of the process of learning a language which has been so helpful for me and very interesting Hopefully to all our viewers as well. Cheers.
1: Agreed. Thanks for cool.
2: coming, Brett. I appreciate
1: it. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys.
0: Yeah, 100%. Uh, for all you, yeah, Brett Williams has a YouTube channel as well as a TikTok, Brett William Films. I highly recommend checking out both of them, and hopefully you can learn more uh, through his content there. And I hope you all also join us in further podcast live streams, which we will be doing further on weekly. Thank you so much for joining, and have a good week. Later.